good evening. After a long-awaited, very, very long-awaited return. This is Joshua. Welcome back to the Hero Complex. Tonight, for the return journey, I wanted to do one of my favorite stories by one of my favorite, favorite writing and art duos, which is Mark, Ray, Mark Wade sorry, and Alex Ross. Alex Ross has to be my all-time favorite artist ever. Um, and tonight the story is going to be Kingdom Come. Kingdom Come was originally published in 1996 with one through uh, a four-issue miniseries. And then they republished a collected works, the graphic novel version, uh, 97, I want to say. Um, and that's what I am actually covering today. So, starting this book off, um, we see... A fantastical image of it looks like an ominous background with a bat fighting an eagle that is draped in the American flag and holding a spear um, spoiler alert foreshadowing if you have not read this please go pick it up it's one of the best written DC comics um, that I've read in, in all my times of reading and all my times of being a fan um, it's just awesome. And this is actually an Elseworlds title. So this is actually not in the main DC universe, the main, uh, the mainstream or earth one, so to speak, um, earth zero. If you go back to the multiverse, I think they called this one after, I think it was final crisis. Um, and they did the whole multiversity thing. They actually called this universe Earth-22. So, back to the back to the story. We, we see this fantastical series of images in the first two pages. Um, or, actually, the first three pages. And these images are accompanied with a sort of narration. And I'll go ahead and read the narration for you. It goes as follows. There were voices, and thunderings, and lightnings, and an earthquake. And there followed hail and fire mingled with blood. There fell a great star from heaven, burning as if it were a lamp. And I beheld, and heard an angel, saying with a loud voice, Woe, 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 to the inhabitants of the earth. Now, with those words, we see, like, the first image I told you about the bat fighting the eagle, uh, draped in the American flag and holding a spear. And then the other pages, you see green fire with lightning. And all of this has an ominous backdrop. And there's a whole bunch of um, beings or, or people, and it seems that there's a huge battle going on in this green fire. And you see one arm... Uh, clutching a lightning bolt and then you see a figure who's on their knees seemingly suffering and they're just draped in what it seems like fire and then you see another figure surrounded by 
red smoke, I want to say, or it looks like fire, and it seems like they're uh, screaming or yelling or, or so to speak. And then we continue the story, and there's a man holding a Bible, so we uh, we assume he's a pastor, and then there's another man in a hospital bed. Um, now, the man in the hospital bed is Wesley. He, uh, the preacher calls him Wesley. And then the preacher's name is Norman. Um, and Wesley says, it's in the revelation of St. John. All of it. The preacher goes, that's enough, Wesley. Trying to calm him down. So what we see here is Wesley is, is up there in age. Um, he seems to be um, in his 80s or 90s. So we can only assume that this is, Wesley is on his deathbed. So Norman, the preacher, is trying to keep him calm, um, not to tax himself. And then um, Wesley goes on to say, I see things, Norman, divine prophecies. And Norman just, they're just nightmares, Wesley. Um, you've had them before, that's why you're here. Um, not nightmares, pastor, visions. And he calls them visions, and that and they're alluding to what we saw in the previous three pages. Um, and then Wesley goes to pull out his, his IV and he stands up and he's talking about Babylon and seven thunders will, will utter their voices and going on with the, rev, the, the revelations of John. And he gets up and he opens a drawer and he takes out a hat. Now this hat is very, very familiar um, and then he says something, Wesley says something very, very telling of who he is. Um, if you've read comics for a while and I've, I've actually covered this character and he says the sands run out. Now that is very, very telling because this is none other than Wesley Dodds. If you need to know who Wesley Dodds is, you can go back to, I think episode one or issue one on this very podcast, or you can Google him, um, Wesley Dodds was the Sandman in the Justice Society of America. He fought alongside Jay Garrick, um, uh, Alan Grant, I want to say his name is, uh, Green Lantern, the first Green Lantern, or no, Ted Grant was Wildcat. Jeez, I can't remember the first Green Lantern's name, jeez. Um, anyway, so... The nurse comes in and she's like, oh, geez, Mr. Dodds, doctor. And they're trying to get him back into bed. And Wesley has a vision of the nurse and the doctor, and it's himself. He sees himself in these two people with his trench coat and his gas mask that he used to use when he was a hero. And then um, he yells at, at Norman, the preacher, and he tells him to read. And he screams at him, read the book, read the book. And then Norman just starts reading, and he is on First Corinthians. And it seems like they're panning in, going closer, and almost zooming into Norman. But really, he's made a, a he's made to be a part of the background. And they look out this window, and all you see is people flying around, and it seems to be like superpowered entities. Um, which is kind of telling of the story. Now, the rest of the story is pretty much Norma McKay being the narrator or being um, the point of view this story is being told from. And 
as you walk around, you see um, little things about society that they're in. Um, the UN, there's a newspaper that says the UN enacts more metahuman censures. Um, will censures curb metahuman violence? So that almost seems like a major problem in society, that in this society, that um, people are not liking. And then as Wesley's walking, you see a car that's dented in the front, and then you see a whole bunch of graffiti around and a statue just thrown on top of a car and into a building, and it's nothing but, you know, uh, destruction around. And then he passes a storefront, and um, there's a there's a sign that says a signed ball, last ever, World Series in 2002. So this is seemingly from the future. So this was published in '96. This is after 2002. So. Alex Ross and Mark Waid are showing um, the eventual future of what could have been the DC Universe. And then you come up to a restaurant called Planet Krypton. And if you uh, remember, I think it was like the 90s, there was a restaurant um, in Hollywood, in, in, in Los Angeles, that was called Planet Hollywood. And people would dress up as stars. And I think it was like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone, and Bruce Willis, they basically built this and, and funded it or whatever. Um, and all the, the stars from Hollywood would go there in the 90s. Well, this restaurant is called Planet Krypton. And it's a celebration to heroes. Well, you walk in and there's a guy dressed up as the Green Lantern, Hal Jordan. And then you see several people dressed up. And these are people that work in this restaurant. So they're waiters and uh, waitresses or service people. And... One's dressed up as Aquaman or uh, Flash, Fire from the Justice League, um, Wonder Woman. And this isn't like the comic book Wonder Woman. This lady's dressed up as the Linda Carter Wonder Woman from the 1970s. Um, and there's just garish decorations. Think Applebee's on a comic book steroids. Um, so then Norman leaves that restaurant and he's walking outside. And just the... The way the background and the backdrop of this was done is just awesome. Um, if you remember, Alex Ross did another story uh, because before this, he worked with Marvel and worked for Marvel. And then he left Marvel and went to DC and started doing their uh, some of their stories and their properties. Um, he also did another story just like this, which was called Marvels or Marvel, something like that. Anyway, and it was basically the same thing where... Usually you see like um, the point of view of the heroes or the point of view of the villains or so on and so forth. You never see the point of view of a person on the street or a layman or a civilian or, you know, so on and so forth. So to see the point of view of somebody that's living in this in this world is just kind of amazing because you get the narration and you get the perspective of somebody that's living around this or living inside of this world that the superheroes somewhat take for granted in this reality. Because as Norman is walking, a blush, the bus just flies out of nowhere. And then you see a whole bunch of heroes just fighting in the streets with total abandon, um, not even paying attention to what they're doing. Um, to the people around them, so much so where 
the fighting happens between these groups and a little girl is in the way of rubble and Norman jumps out and basically saves her. Um, and they just, they go on their way. Well, as they're fighting, this big screen in what seems to be Metropolis Times Square, um, something pops up and it's Kansas and there's a bulletin and everybody stops dead in their tracks. And we don't know really what happened yet. And then we are reminded about one of the one of the sayings in the beginning of the book, and it says, "And there followed hail and fire mingled with blood." So something's happening. Well, after this event, Norman is a pastor of a church, and he's sitting in front of his congregation, which his congregation seems kind of low, uh, low numbered, and you can only imagine why with the kind of world that they live in but it seems today in this service it's a bit dark and I can just read a little bit to you just so you can get a um, idea of what is going on and Norman says and the third part of the trees was burnt up and all the green grass was burnt up and the op and he opened the bottomless pit and the sun and the air were darkened. Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. He, he, and he stops. And he says, forgive me, this, is, this isn't what I wanted to forgive me. So, just to tell you, his congregation seems to be older. Older, um, white, so they can be a little bit sensitive, especially something so harsh. And he goes on to say that um, as as his congregation leaves, they shy from his gaze. They kind of don't even look him in the eye. And in this world that is, is, seems bleak, it seems dark, because there's a whole bunch of violence. And they came for him, they came to him for encouragement, because that's essentially what a pastor or or a preacher does, and he says, I cannot give. That I cannot give. The news, Wesley knew. So he's starting to believe that Wesley had a point. The visions he had, the prophecies, the dreams, I thought he was insane, but if he was, then so now am I. And he's as he's saying this, he's ripping pages out of a Bible. And he sees a vision, or we see a flash of a vision, of the person screaming that I mentioned before. And he goes on to say, his dreams are now mine and they are visions of utter despondence. He wanted somebody to act. He wanted someone to act, but what can anyone do? Kansas proved it. So something major happened to Kansas. We just don't know what. Thanks to the superhumans, the end is near, the word of God so very far. So now, People don't look at superhumans as hero or villain. They pretty much are no different from each other um, because all they cause is destruction. And as Norman is sitting in his church, he's sitting there ripping these pages out and then he looks up and there almost seems like there's a bright light shining on him. And then he sees something walk through the wall. A tall figure draped in a green cloak with a hood 
with a white face and body. And Norman says, while this is going on, the Lord of God, the, the word of God so far away, and he's just standing in amazement at what he's seeing. And the person that he is, or the, the being that came to him is none other than the specter, Jim Corrigan, the spirit of vengeance for God. And he tells Norman, I have need of you, Norman McKay. And Norman, in just a meek attitude, just tells him, now the visions talk to me. I have gone mad. So he thinks he's going crazy. And then um, Spectre just tells him hardly. In fact, your sanity may be paramount to mankind's survival. So Norman McKay, this mild-mannered, just everyday pastor is told by the spirit of God's vengeance that he essentially is going to help the human civilization survive. Um, that is just, I, I, I wouldn't be able to like understand that or process that if I was Norman, but you know, um, let me know what you guys think. You can leave comments here or you can leave comments on uh, my TikTok and uh, I will do a promo for this, so let me know. Even as I stand before you, an act of unspeakable evil has begun to manifest. Armageddon is fast approaching. So, Wesley Dodds was right, and Norman didn't listen until now. So now he's forced to listen. And Spectre lightly touches his forehead, and Norman's body kind of changes. And... He asks him, you see into my mind, my soul, are you an angel? And he says, of a sort, a higher power has charged me with the task of punishing those responsible for this coming evil. So now the specter is using Norman as a partner, so to speak. And he continues, the specter continues and goes, long ago, I would have judged swiftly with clarity, but my faculties are not what they once were. So he's telling him that something's wrong with him. So he can't do this with a sound mind, so to speak, which kind of funny. In order to carry out my task, I must anchor myself to a human soul who seeks justice. So this tells us a major thing. This tells us that he does not have a human soul. So this is not, in fact, Jim Corrigan. This is just the specter, the spirit of vengeance, and he does not have a human anchor. <clears throat> As they're discussing this, the specter is basically telling him what's going to go on and what can happen, um, that this is not a delusion, and the specter says, this is not my task. Once Earth boasted other saviors who might have, steam, have stemmed the tide of destruction, but as you will see, there is no longer the they are no longer the solution. They are, in many ways, the problem. So he's actually telling him what he already knows. And then they disappear and they travel somewhere. They end up in a wheat field somewhere in the middle of nowhere, seemingly in America. And then Norman just asks him where they are, and the specter just asks him, "What do you see?" I see a Midwestern farmland, but that's not possible. 
There is no need to lower your voice. We cannot be seen nor heard, not even by him. All we see is a farmer on top with... He's holding boards with one hand, and he's putting these boards on the, on the roof. But he's putting nails in by his hand. Now, this farmer has a full beard, long hair, ponytail, and he's just in overalls. But he flies down to the ground. And Norman says... The farmer looks familiar. The specter continues. He should, though he is not of this world, he came to earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. That can only mean that this farmer is none other than Kal-El, Clark Kent, Superman. Now, as... The specter continues. He said, you know him by a name he has not heard or used in 10 years. So Superman has not been Superman for a long time. So we can almost assume that he is in retirement. And as they're talking and just discussing um, when Superman left, uh, Norman alludes to the reason. He says, I remember he left Metropolis. Something happened, a trial I can't remember what was involved, but I recall a sense of inevitability. Obviously, whatever happened drove him here, but my God, he is so alone. Spectre says, not always. And then we see Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman still looks young, but she has aged a bit. And she responds to him. She says, hello, Clark. She doesn't call him Cow. She calls him Clark. And then Superman looks at her with this just, you know look and she says cow she fixed it diana i haven't seen you in months what brings you to the farm the vain hope that you're still not here these are my roots we can't live you can't live forever in solitude i'm superman i can do anything except apparently face your fear i'm not afraid of him i don't mean him i meant cow you've lost so much since i first met you Earthlings die. You know that. So there's a sort of detachment um, that he's gone through. And we're going to find out later what that is. And they just continue to talk. And she always goes back to his human side where she almost calls him Clark. But she gets like the clip and then she fixes it and calls him Cal. And she alludes to... Um, Mom, Pa, Kent, and Lois. And she just simply says they were your parents. And she was your wife. Don't call them earthlings. Hear me out. And then he just cuts her off. I have work to do. Here things grow. And then she, out of nowhere, she touches something and a red light hits. And then she says, think again. So he's obviously not in a farm. He's at the Fortress of Solitude. And this is a... It's a fake or a, a biome, so to speak. It's a fake environment. And he says, you're spooking the animals. At least I provoked the reaction in something. So it's it's almost like she's trying to get him in back into the world. And as we continue, we are blatantly told that we're in the Fortress of Solitude. And... It's just a conversation between Wonder Woman and Superman and her trying to get him back in the world. And she tells him, just see for yourself what's going on. 
what he has let happen. And we, and we keep talking about he, and we're not told who he is. And she tells him to steal himself. In other words, prepare yourself. You're about to see some very, very graphic stuff. And he says, on. And then a whole bunch of TV monitors just come on, and it's all about Kansas. And this is where we find out what happened. So there's a group of heroes, and they are chasing what looks like the Parasite. Now, the Parasite is a major Superman villain, which he basically absorbs kinetic energy. And they're trying to get him, and you have Captain Atom, what looks like Katana, but these are all future heroes. So we don't really know who all these people are just yet. And then you have a person called Magog. Magog and his Justice Battalion descended upon the withered Parasite. So Parasite, seemingly low on energy, and they all gang up on him. And with the Parasite, he touches Captain Adam, so he absorbs some of his power, and then he unleashes it on Captain Adam, and he splits him open. If you don't know about Captain Adam, he, he is wearing a containment suit. Because he's totally made out of nuclear energy. So he's he's wearing a containment suit. And that's split open by the parasite. Which causes a nuclear explosion. And decimates most of Kansas. There's dead animals laying on the ground. There's nuclear fallout everywhere that you could actually see. And then... he, And it goes back. And this story keeps on going on. And it explains basically what happened. And then Superman, Kal-El says off and all the screens go off and then wonder woman is trying to go trying to get him to come back again just keep it on pleading her case you must face this if you don't neither will rest uh neither will the rest of us and, ju and it just goes on cal there's nothing i can do from here go back to your island diana you're safe there and then she leaves she just leaves the Fortress of Solitude, and then Norman McKay and the Spectre are just there to watch. And they keep talking, and they keep going on. So, seemingly, the Spectre is showing Norman McKay what is happening all across the world. Not just in Metropolis, not just in, in Kansas. I mean, they just left the Antarctic, and now they're in Central City. So, what we see in Central City is they are discussing and the specter is describing the flash now the funny thing about this flash is he has the headpiece of jay garrick but you don't really see him having a body um and the way that the specter kind of describes him he says in the time of superman's absence keystone city has become a utopia a protectorate relentlessly patrolled by a gale force once human. So not only is he not in, in Central City, he's in Keystone City. Um, no one sees him. No one hears him. He runs a lonely race, but all who live here have felt his presence. He is everywhere at once. A guardian angel who writes even the, wor even the most harmless of wrongs with lightning speed. He lives between the ticks of seconds. He is the Flash. Now, it's crazy because he is everywhere all at once. Now, 
I can go over these characters in, in detail later on and let me know if you guys are interested. I would love to do that. Um, but that, that one character is just awesome. And then we go to the next and they are overlooking a construction site that has been demolished. And up in the air, you see a person flying and this person has the head of a hawk. Now, this isn't a person that's in a mask. This is Hawkman, and he is in Egyptian garb. So this is none other than Carter Hall, the actual person, the Hawkman. And then you're, then you're told about what, what he does. Basically, an environmental terrorist is what other people would call him. He's an environmentalist that basically fights the good fight. And then we are then geared towards... A um, big emerald cathedral. It looks so amazing. And the description is yet another yet another takes his refuge high above the earth's surface. His self-made emerald city twinkling in the night sky like a verdant star. There, Green Lantern commands a lonely throne, ever vigilant, ever waiting for signs of, of threats extraterrestrial. He waits still. So this is a city that's made by the Green Lantern. We don't know if this Green Lantern is the first Green Lantern. I'm st that's going to bother me until I remember his name. Or Hal Jordan or guy. We don't know. And then we are go. We are just told about the other heroes that are um, still around, but seemingly there's not many that are prevalent except for the ones that uh, demolish everything and then we are gone to gotham city batman his stomping grounds and then you see a group of kids running which it looks like they robbed somebody and all these kids are running and then funny enough if you look at these kids alex ross depicted these kids after the fat albert cartoon fat albert and his gang and it's kind of kind of cool that he paid an homage to those kids well then as these kids are running down this this alley they are met by a huge huge bat-like robot and then as they turn around and try and run another one swoops down and stomps on the ground and then it shines this bright light that looks like a mobile bat signal and then another shows up and then another shows up and then another shows up so they're surrounded by these robots and the Batman has his city under control, is what the Spectre says. And then, he, and then Norman says, that's all? That's what you have to show me? And the Spectre surprised, says, that disturbs you? Yes, you're an angel. That makes you a messenger of hope. At no time did I promise hope. A greater power sent you. Your very existence is a testimony to faith. You mean that all you have to tell me is that those who could save us won't? So, essentially, Norman's right. He's searching for hope. This is an agent of God, and you're telling me that they can't do anything because they just are going to stand by and let it happen. And then where the specter placed Norman is on a bridge, and all you see is just these... They seem to be villains, and they're just shooting at this bridge at other heroes or other people that are on this rickshaw or this cable car and they end up 
and they're they're willingly shooting in this cable car full of people just because the heroes are staying there and they're not caring about the bystanders well they end up shooting the cable and it snaps and the cable car goes to fall and that's when norman just screams out we need hope well after that you see a red and blue blur just go by him knock all the people that were shooting at the cable car destroying their weapons and then there's this water funnel basically a hurricane that carries the cable car up onto the bridge for the people to be safe and then people are looking in the sky and the people are like look up in the sky it's none other than superman standing there holding two of the people that were on the cable car well everybody on the cable car in his arms and he looks different his his beard is gone he cut his hair but his hair is salt and pepper colored he does not have the stereotypical s with the red and blue it's black and red and he has a black belt instead of yellow this is not the 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 beginning superman this this is not the truth and justice superman he had not turned his back on us he stands in the sky face faith rewarded he is returned and Norman sees another flash of that figure that's yelling in in smoke or fire that I described earlier and the clearer the picture he sees Superman is the person that is yelling in anguish and he says dear God the threat of Armageddon hasn't ended it's just begun and that's when we get to chapter two that will conclude today we will continue chapter two at a later date thank you I really appreciate you I hope you are here for chapter two and then that's where we will get to the reason Superman left please come back I appreciate you love all of you and stay on your grinds